Sam. Yeah, Don. What's the letter of the day? The letter A. The letter A? I like coming to AA. There's already more A's than I got in high school. <laughs> Where'd you hear that? I, I heard, heard it through, through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour. Featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Hey, Don, I've got a question. Yeah? You know, when we're opening this show, we've got a statement that you just read, you know, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. I love the way that sounds, the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what the grapevine is. And then AA World Services is the collective voice of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I just, I love that distinction. I just wanted to point that out to listeners. I thought it was pretty cool. Well, that's one thing that's great about the grapevine. And I've used the grapevine many times when I was traveling, carry it with me and have trouble getting to a meeting and you read it and you read, you know, just short personal stories. Yeah. And that's what we're doing here. Exactly. Sam, I've been thinking about relationships, well, from our guest today and his story and just how AA and recovery has changed the way that I am in relationships and and how I maintain relationships. For example, one of the things that I learned in AA, well, I learned it on my fourth step, was I, I needed to make amends to my mother. I had borrowed money from her for a long time, a lot of money. She was always good for a touch. I could always get $100 from her if I'd ask her. So I got some money together and was prepared to make amends for that and sat down with her and talked about alcoholism, which was a taboo subject. She was not comfortable talking about it. She became comfortable the longer that we talked. And then she started sharing with me about other members of the family who were alcoholic. They were, it was secret because being an alcoholic was very shameful in my family. And as I was talking, I described what I was doing. I was making amends to her for all the money that I had borrowed and never paid back, never in really intended to pay back. And I wanted to start paying her back now. And she said, I don't want your money. This is what I want, which is to sit and talk and have you here. And we've had this incredible conversation. What she wanted was me to participate in the relationship. You know, ever since that afternoon, when I had lunch with her, I stayed in touch with her and I called her once a week, no matter what. I was able to be with her for the rest of her life. And I was able to be with her when at the end of her life, she was in a um, nursing home and I was, I was there every day, helped to take care of her. And that was what she wanted was a real relationship with me. Because when I was drinking, I didn't, uh, you know, about 15, 20 minutes, it's time for me to leave. You know, I got to go get something to drink. Did relationships change with you when you got sober? Yeah, they, they sure did. And it was, I mean, you know, it took a little time. Of course, I had to, to work through the program, let things work on me. 
but it, it's funny that, you know, you went there with your mother and you know, my immediate thought was about my grandmother. I spent a whole lot of time with her for at least the last 10 years of her life. You know, just like you described, when I was at her house in my drinking days, it was a short visit because I had some drinking to do, or I was hung over and just didn't want to be there anyway. And sometimes I just didn't even show up. Though, you know, a, a specific example of a relationship change with me and Granny, I remember sitting in her kitchen. And this is several years into recovery. Granny was a Southern Baptist. Uh, I grew up Baptisterian, Baptist and Presbyterian, Baptist on <laughs> one side of the family, Presbyterian on the other. And religion is not for me. I'm an atheist and I'm very happy with where I am with that. I'm spiritual and life is awesome in recovery. Granny and I sat in her kitchen and she started talking about God. And she was talking about God from her perspective within her religion. And I was able to sit there and talk about God from my perspective in my experience in spirituality and not make her wrong for what she was talking about and what she believed. And we found absolute common ground in having that conversation. Now, previously, I would have shut that conversation down. I would, at best, I would not have let it happen. Mm -hmm. At worst, I would have been an absolute jackass. But that's not what happened. And she and I had this incredible conversation, this moment of true intimate relation that a grandmother and grandson never would have had if I had not gotten sober and Alcoholics Anonymous and worked this program. It was a beautiful situation. So that's just one really happy memory of a relationship change of an example of how that relationship changed with me and her. Yeah, that's beautiful. Things that other people in AA have modeled for me, I've learned to do, like to show up for other people. Like if there is a funeral, mm -hmm. someone loses someone that they care about and they need to go to the funeral, I'll go to a funeral to support that person, even if I don't know the person who died. I wouldn't have done that before. I would go feel sad for them sitting in the bar during happy hour. You know? Yeah, really. And maybe talk about them. And then there's, and, you know, but that's not really being there for them. And that's the difference. You know, I mean, there's a country song and I, I do not know my country songs, but I remember hearing this one and it says something along the lines of to be a friend, a friend would like to have. Yeah. And that's what's happened. That's who I have become in my recovery. Yeah. That's what we strive to be. I've had some great examples over the years in AA of people modeling the behavior. People it's really sweet up. of you to talk about me like that, Don. I appreciate yes, that. Uh, thanks so much, Sam. I'm glad I could be there for you. I appreciate you. <laughs> and I appreciate you. <laughs> well, before this turns into a love fest, let's... <laughs> <laughs> That's almost as bad as a gratitude meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is turning into a gratitude meeting. <laughs> Today, we're talking to Tom Z about their story in this month's Grapevine magazine, My Texas Pen Pal, and his 23-year relationship with Keith. Classic Grapevine is the overall topic this month in the magazine, so after the interview, we will play a short archival recording of Bill Wilson speaking about his pivotal experience in the Mayflower Hotel in a segment called Blast from the Past. All right, but before Bill Wilson gets all fired up, 
Let's meet our guest. Hi, everybody. I'm Tom Z from Coles Point, Virginia, and it's an honor and pleasure to be here today. Hey, Tom, really glad you joined us. Tom, when did you get sober? I got sober May 7th, 1991, around 12 o'clock when they put the handcuffs on me. Oh, so there were sound effects. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sound effects and (laughs) your life had become unmanageable. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's really funny. I, I didn't see it that way, but yeah. It took a lawyer telling me that I needed to do something about my drinking and drugging. And I just looked at him like, what, what? <laughs> and he, you know, he told me to go to rehab. I asked him what that was and he t- explained it to me and told me exactly where to go. And I went and I was there 17 days and I was therapeutically discharged. That's what they call it when they kick you out for dispensing narcotics on the addictions unit. <sighs> <laughs> So the very next day, I went to the next rehab, and I, I'm probably the only person that almost got arrested trying to get in rehab because, you know, I called them or before I went over there, I said, you know, well, how much money do I need? And they said, $13,000. Okay. Went home, opened safe, got $13,000. I showed up. I had my same bag of clothes and my boom box, and I showed up, and they said, come back tomorrow. Um, no, you take me now. No, come back tomorrow. No, you take me now. And then they went, you want us to call security? And I said, I'll see you tomorrow morning. <laughs> so it sounds like you were absolutely serious about getting sober. So, you know, when, when the cuffs went on, when that lawyer told you that you, you needed to do something about your drinking and using, did you realize that you had a problem at that point or? No, actually, the truth be told, it wasn't until the night that I asked Melvin to be my sponsor. And he told me to tell him my story. And I told him everything I ended it with, but I don't think I'm an alcoholic or a drug addict. I just got bad luck. (laughs) Exactly. When he quit laughing, (laughs) let me see if I understand this right. You're facing 85 years in the penitentiary. Just got out of jail. You just got kicked out of one rehab and you're in your second rehab and your life's not unmanageable. He says, you're one of two things. You're the stupid or you're well, back then, nobody talked to me that way. Yeah. He said, I'll, you go back to your room tonight, you stand in front of the mirror, and you tell the exact same story you just told me to yourself in the mirror. And by the time I was halfway finished, I could not believe what I'd become. Uh, I didn't know the person I was talking to. It was the first time in 30 years that I'd taken an actual, honest look at myself. And I tried to sleep that night, and I couldn't tossed and turned. I got out of bed, got on my knees and I asked God for help. And I said, I'll do whatever it takes. Just please help me. That was the defining moment. From that moment on, there's been no ifs, ands, or buts. I've known from that moment, I'm an alcoholic and drug addict. I've never wavered from that. Hmm. You saw yourself as you really are for the first time. Yes. Well, I saw was a big black hole, pure evil. Hmm. I, I just knew I wasn't the person that my parents raised. Uh, you know, it's funny when I, when I first started going to AA meetings and I went to a lot of speaker meetings and I heard these stories about how, you know, my father beat my mother, you know, they kicked my dog, yeah, yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. And I came from leave it to Beaverland. I never in my life ever heard my father raise his voice to my mother. 
I mean, I'm, I'm 69 years old. And when I talk to my brother on the phone or my kids, the last thing that's said is I love you. And that's the way it's, it was always in my family. Truth be told, the minute I got on my own, I made every wrong decision that I could make. I was a champion of the wrong decision. One thing I've learned from listening to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of speaker meetings and hearing people's stories is that I've thought that the way I was raised was the reason that I drank. In fact, I began to see from hearing story after story blaming that situation, that really has nothing to do with why I'm an alcoholic and why I drank the way I drank. Because people who have horrible situations growing up, much worse than mine, my family was leave it to beaver as well. It doesn't make any difference. People that are growing up with no love in their family whatsoever, abandoned by their parents and they become alcoholics. Then people who have a beautiful life growing up, as you described yourself, and as I did, it doesn't make any difference. We still end up wanting to drink, and alcohol seems to be the answer to everything. An alcoholic is going to find a way to drink and a reason to justify it in any way, shape, or form. That's what we do. Whenever I speak, I always start out the same way. I lived a wonderful life all the way up to the age of five. And at five years old, I got into an argument. You know, a bunch of us were playing, you know, we got an argument. Who's going to be Fury and who's going to be Flicka? And, and this boy picked up a pair of scissors and threw them at me and hit me in the face. And I lost my right eye. You know, from that moment, I hated the way I looked. You know, back in those days, your prosthetics weren't that good. You know, I always had to try so much harder just to be as good. That's the way I looked at it, just to be as good as anybody else. And first time at 13, when I got commode hugging drunk that night, man, I was it. I was funny. I was good looking. I could dance and all that good stuff. Went home, fell down the steps, got sick, headache, felt like crap and couldn't wait to do it again. But all of that was totally worth it. Oh, yeah, man, because it it, <laughs> it worked, man. It made yeah. me and I could drink a lot, you know, so and it made it even better. It worked for many, many years. Well, I'm really glad you you found your sobriety, though, because one of the things that has happened is, uh, as Don and I were talking in the earlier part of the the opening about relationships, you write in this month's issue of The Grapevine about a relationship that you never would have dreamed of having. It was, you know, it was it was truly, truly amazing. And when I was incarcerated, there was a gentleman that brought the meeting in to me. We had only one meeting a week and I never missed a meeting because I was terrified that he wouldn't come back because there were so many times when it was just me and him. One night he brought in this yellow sheet of paper and told me to fill it out and get somebody to write me. And a gentleman wrote me, Mike, I believe he was from Maine, and he wrote me the whole time I was incarcerated. Those two guys probably did more for me than anybody. You know, you know, jail was okay, whatever, until one day one person figured out who I was. And then, you know, it was a nightmare. You know, these two guys, they helped me, you know, with the steps and helped me keep on an even keel, keep me from doing anything really stupid. But that was through the mail? Yes. Yeah, through the correspondence program, a correspondence program. Mm-hmm. So when I was released, I immediately wrote to New York and said, give me somebody. So I started that and eventually I got Keith. Well, Keith and I corresponded for, you know, 17 years. And I mean, he was like a member of the family. He knew about all my kids. 
my wife and everybody in my family knew about Keith. He was just about ready to get out and he got real sick and they transferred him somewhere else. You quit hearing from him? Yeah, it was just right at the end. And then it was Christmas morning. I was watching a football game and his phone number comes across my TV screen. And I went, I don't know anybody from there. And also I hear this, hey, Tom, it's Keith. How you doing? And I almost died. I jumped up and I tripped over the coffee table and I leaped. I grabbed the phone and, and we just we started talking and talking and talking. You know? And eventually I said, I have to ask this, Keith, are you going to any meetings? And he goes, I go every day. I, I open the club. I've got the key to the club, the local AA club. <laughs> I, mean, I, I swear I had tears going down my face oh. because I've been taking meetings in the, into facilities for almost 30 years. I've, I've seen success. I've seen a lot of failure, but I've seen success. I'm so happy about this grapevine uh, podcast. I think this is really a great deal. Of all the things that you take into a facility, I could take 50 grapevines. 50 big books, 50 12 and 12s, and 50 anything else. And the grapevines would be the first thing going. They're on them like, boom. Yeah. The guys that I write, if we write and we write for a few months, you know, I know that it's, it's working. I always, I automatically, prescri- uh, pre- not a prescription, a subscription. <laughs> <laughs> it could be considered a prescription, a prescription right? <laughs> because in that way, we talk about the articles because every month it's a different step in a different tradition. And it's a way to, you know, to work through the steps with them without them sometimes not even knowing what's going on. But, you know. So are you talking with them through the mail or are you doing telephone calls or Zoom calls? or 99% of it's through the mail. I do have one person that I communicate weekly through the phone, but everybody else is through the mail. It's funny. I'm I have met a few gentlemen that went through a program that one of the local places have that I went through and, you know, they went away for a few years and I wrote them. I've went and picked them up, you know, across the state, you know, drove, picked them up. I've helped them out financially to get them into a, you know, halfway house, whatever, you know, I've worked with them for years. I just, as the saying says, I'm responsible. Mm. I can never repay what AA has given me. Yeah. Well, you're uniquely qualified to work with people in prison and to write letters, but what do you think anybody can? Oh, without a doubt. You know, I've spoken at local mm-hmm. prisons around here, and mm-hmm. it's very uncomfortable for me because it looks like nobody's interested. Well, there's two things. One, I'm a joker, so I'm always cracking jokes and that there's no laughter. So it's like, this is too serious. But also it seems like there'll be, what I usually do is find the one or two people who are really paying attention. And, but everybody else just seems like they're killing time. So what's the experience like from the other side? What can you say to that? You know, it's, people have this uh, conception that, well, I've never done time, so I've got nothing to share. You know, Mm -hmm. I've got nothing they want. Well, truth be told, the guys that are in there, they know how to break the law. They know how to sell dope. They know how to steal. They know how to do all this stuff. They don't know how to stay sober. So I know from, and this is just my own personal opinion. When I was arrested, I didn't care where you, what you did, where you came from. I wanted to know how you stay sober. Now, I, I have one experience that I'll never forget. 
There was a guy at Thornton Penitentiary that was in there. He'd done 14 years out of a 15-year bit for murder. And he'd been coming to the AA meeting on Monday nights. And he came up to me and he says, you know, I believe that you believe the stuff you're telling us. He says, and I'm tired of living the way I'm living. Will you help me? Wow. And I went, okay. And so we worked together. He, He finished out his term. And I got to speak at his two-year anniversary on the street. And we kept in touch for about 13 years. He got married. He became a deacon. Turns life completely around. Doing well. All I know is I'm there to carry the message of recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Which you, when you're opening up, you know, the first thing, thing I wanted most, absolutely most when I first got sober, was to be able to forget my past. Mm-hmm. I was so embarrassed. I felt so bad for the pain that I caused my mother. I don't even know if I should say this, but I'm probably the only person in AA that had the president of the United States tell his mother that her son had been arrested for narcotics. You know, I just, you can't imagine how that feels. Mm -hmm. And through working the steps and working the program, what I've come to find is just what we were just talking about. My past is absolutely my strongest spiritual tool that I have in my toolkit. Mm -hmm. I can help, you know, other guys, other guys don't have to do the things that I did. You know, I can share it. I can own it. You know, and you're talking, you know, when I made amends to my mother, she said, just keep doing what you're doing. And after 20 years, and she asked me, don't you think you need to slow down and quit doing what you're doing? And I went, well, mom. Do you want the old Tom back? Oh, no, no, no. Just make sure you get a lot of rest. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I, I truly, what you're talking about, because, you know, when my mother, she was superwoman. Mm-hmm. When she got cancer, the honor of round-the-clock care for the last four months of my mother's life, it was... Um, you were able to be there. That's it. As I say, I was responsible. And I, I did things that I never thought I could ever do. Mm-hmm. It was an honor to be able to do it. And it's it's strictly through the grace of God and Alcoholics Anonymous. I would have never been able to do it before. Tom, thanks for joining us today and sharing your story with us. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. It's been a grand experience. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're up into the grand territory. <laughs> yeah, <baby. laughs> Tom's article, My Texas Pen Pal, is on page 58 of the November 2021 issue of the AA Grapevine magazine. If you'd like to know more about the Corrections Correspondence Service, you can get to that page on aa.org by Googling AA Prison Correspondence, and that'll take you right to that page. I was on a Saturday afternoon alone in the Mayflower Hotel at Akron, Ohio. I walked down to the lobby, strode back and forth. At one end there was a plaque with the names of the various churches and preachers. At the other end of my beat there was a bar room. The bar room was filling up and so were the people in it. And that buzz, so characteristic to bars, uh, had a pleasant sound to me. Soon I found myself saying, well, perhaps I could go in there 
and have a drink of ginger ale and possibly scrape an acquaintance to pass away this lonely afternoon. And then I caught myself and thought, well, I have been restored to sanity. I can see I'm in danger. I walked over to the church directory again, thinking, well, now perhaps I had better find an alcoholic that I might talk to. Because at last, I see that I need such a person as much as he could possibly need me. How long have you been sober? 40 years, one day at a time. It's a good life being sober. Yeah, but I do miss the good old days. How come? Well, I wasn't that good, and I wasn't that old. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.